Well, good morning again to everyone here this morning. For this morning, I had a different passage in mind that I wanted to go through, but in studying with my wife for Sunday school this morning, uh, with the younger kids, I felt led to bring this lesson before to you guys. So not only will you get a lesson that was taught to the younger guys, I'm going to teach it to you as well. So Morgan might have some of the answers to these questions, so we'll see. This morning we're going, to be, we're going to see a lesson that was taught by Jesus. It's found in Matthew 14, 22 through 32. And I'd encourage you, as I told uh, Ted this morning, I'm going to go old school. I didn't have the time this week to put all the slides up behind me this morning. So I'm, I apologize for that, but as we open our text of Scripture and we turn to Matthew 14, we'll begin reading at verse 22 through 32. And as we, as we walk through this text of Scripture, there's, there's three points that I want to bring before you. And uh, these points are being a lesson of wrong timing, a lesson of storms yet to come, and a lesson of Peter's faith as we walk through this text of Scripture. So it's just, at this time, let's go ahead and we'll read through, starting in Matthew 14, verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And he began, beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dearly Father, we thank you for this morning again. We thank you again for the time that we're able to come to your house to sing praises to your name, but also open your word and to see a lesson that was taught to these disciples. And Father, I pray as we work through this text of Scripture together this morning that your glory would be seen and your hand in this, and that, Father, that you would speak through me, and it would not be of my words, but of you. And, Father, we, th we thank you for today, and we ask your guidance upon this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As we get started into this text of Scripture, we sort of jump right into the middle of a text. We're starting right in the middle of Matthew 14 and stopping a couple of verses short of uh, verse, uh, chapter 15. And I think it would do us due justice to see how we got to this point of 
Jesus walking on water and Peter walking on water and this lesson that the disciples had learned. So I think it's important to step back for a minute and to look at chapter 14 in a whole in its entirety. We see in uh, verses 1 through 12 of that same chapter, we see that John the Baptist was killed by Herod. At this time, Herod had uh, taken John the Baptist and he had him murdered uh, due, due to the circumstances there. And as a result, towards the end, we see in verse 13 of after the death of John the Baptist, and when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by a ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot and out of the cities. So we see in those first few verses, 1 through 12, following to verse 13, we see that Jesus had now heard of this death of John the Baptist. There's a, there's a, a statement that when I was in college and in seminary, we called it the hypostatic union. This is where Jesus took on flesh. He's still fully God and fully man. And in that one verse there, and in the following text of Scripture, you'll see this hypostatic union. You see there in verse 13 that when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place. This was the manly uh, man side of Jesus. This was the flesh. The flesh was saddened by the death of John the Baptist. But at the same time, he was fully God. He knew exactly what happened to John the Baptist well before those disciples that were following him came to him and said, this is what happened. Jesus knew, but yet he departed to a different place to be alone, to let that go. Following in verses 14 through 21, we see another well-known account. This is the feeding of the 5,000. I hope I keep this straight because last week's lesson in Sunday school was the feeding of the 4,000. And there's just slight minor differences between the two accounts. But we see the feeding of the 5,000 we see was roughly 15 to 20,000 people. 5,000 was just roughly the number of men in that situation. That didn't include the women and the children that were there. So they estimate that to be around 15 to 20,000 people. This was just shortly after the people left these cities to follow Jesus. And while Jesus was still uh, thinking about the death of John the Baptist, he felt compassion for this crowd. He healed the sick, he took care of the lame, and he cared for the crowd as he taught them as well. And we see after a few days of the crowd being there, the disciples wanted to disperse them. They wanted to send them back home, but still Jesus felt compassion for that crowd. And what did he do? He fed them with five loaves of bread and two fishes. And there was 12 baskets that were remaining after that feeding of roughly 20,000 people. It was quite a miracle that, that Jesus performed at that point. But it's, you, we need to remember that, that one story as we jump into this text of Jesus walking on water. Because Jesus had another lesson for the disciples, not only of him showing them, hey, I, I have power to feed these people. I have power to feed 20,000 people and take care of them. But I'm also going to show you another instance of where this is just personally for you guys. And this is where we begin into our text of uh, a lesson of wrong timing. We see this in verses 22 and 23. There's just a couple of verses here as we dive into this text of Scripture. We're just going to look at the first part of verse 22. 
And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. That word straightway is mentioned numerous times in this text. We want to remember that word, because straightway, in other words of saying it, depending on your text of scripture, it could also mean immediately. Straightway or immediately, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. Now, it's, 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 it's interesting. We need to stop here for a minute. Jesus just performed this great miracle of feeding 20,000 people, and his disciples are standing before him. There's still ministry available there, but why was it so important for Jesus to get his disciples out of that area with that crowd of people and into a ship and send them across the Sea of Galilee? Why was it so important? What was, what was the rush? Why was there an immediate attention Jesus wanted them to leave and get away from there? We see we need to turn to John 6.15, and as we turn to John 6.15, there's one verse, and Pastor had mentioned a few times on Wednesday night and different uh, occasions that John is a book of theology. He gets right to the point, and he tells you this is what we need to know. He's straight to the point in uh, these situations. He sort of doesn't really buttercoat a lot of things. He, he tells you as it is. So as we turn to John 6.15... We see the text of Scripture states, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. So we see this is, this is where Jesus is not only fully man, but fully God. He knew the intentions of this crowd. He knew the intentions of this crowd was to what? To take him by force and make him a king. He knew this crowd was coming to take him, make him a king over the people. Now, it doesn't seem so bad, right? That, that Jesus is going to be king. He's king of the Jews. He's coming for them. He's coming for the world. He's going to be a king. When you go through the Davidic line, you see that he's in that Davidic line of being a king. But yet, why did Jesus not want this to be? Why did he continue to send them, send the disciples away? Not only did Jesus know the plans of these, this crowd, we see the reasoning, why the crowd wanted to make him a king by force. And again, we got to look back into the Old Testament to understand why, where the crowd was coming from and wanting to do this to Jesus. We see in Deuteronomy 18.15, and the text there states, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, from the midst of the sea of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. This was from Moses. Moses had, was a prophet that had spoken and said, there's going to be a greater prophet that's coming. He's going to do great signs. He's going to do great wonders. And he's going to be greater than me. These people are putting two and two together. They're looking at this and saying, look, here's Jesus. Okay, he, he, he just fed us all this food. This is at the beginning of his ministry. He's also healed a bunch of people. He's healed the lame. He's done all these great things. This must be the great prophet that's yet to come. Were they wrong in this? No. They were putting two and two together and trying to understand what Moses was speaking about. But yet the, mo the, the crowd did not understand truly what Moses was saying. Jesus was not yet to be king. He wasn't, this wasn't his time to fulfill the kingly role. 
We see this as in when we turn to John 18.36, we see the reasoning why Jesus would not allow the crowd to make him king. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of the world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews? But now is my kingdom not from thence. Jesus said, my kingdom's not yet to come. It's not the right timing. There's one thing I need to do before I can take the kingdom. And what was that? It was the cross. Jesus came to this world to seek and to save those who are lost. We see that in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We see that was his role coming to earth. He came to teach the disciples, to show them how to spread the gospel about him, to then later in his life die upon the cross and shed his blood and break his body upon the cross for the entire world that they may have salvation. I ask you today, if, if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, there's no greater time. You never know when your time will be. We don't know. Each day is a, a gift, a blessing from God. And I pray that if you're sitting here not sure of your salvation, just reach out. Ask anyone, and we can share the gospel with you and show you who Jesus Christ is. Secondly, not only had Christ not died upon the cross yet, we see that secondly, the kingdom would be given to him by God. This kingdom would not be given to him by men. Uh, there's two texts of scriptures that we see with this, Psalm 2, 7 to 12, and Daniel 7, 13 to 14. I'm just going to turn real quickly for you and read Psalm chapter 2. And Psalm 2 should have had it marked for you, but Psalm 2, 7 to 12, gives us the second reasoning for this. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen of thine inheritance in the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish away from any the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they all that put their trust in him. We see also, if you turn to Daniel's chapter 7, 13 to 14, that God is the one that would supply him the kingdom. God would give him the kingdom. It would not be from men. Men don't give that to him. Another way of stating this, uh, a commentator, uh, McGee, mentions, and I thought this was a good way of trying to understand and sum up how all this theology is being applied and understood. We see he is a king by right and title because of the Davidic line. He will not become a king by any democratic process. He is not elected king by the will of the people. He is a king by the will of God. Again, the, the crowd had great intentions, but they didn't truly understand 
what the role and ministry of Jesus Christ was at this point in time. Jesus knew the intentions of this crowd. He knew that the disciples were still young. They were still learning. They were still trying to understand the ministry of Jesus. They were still in the process of being trained. And he didn't want the disciples to be encapsulated by this crowd of people and follow along with taking Jesus as king and putting him in a place that he was not to be yet. So he dispersed the disciples. He put them in a ship and he sent them on their way. Immediately. As soon as he knew the intentions of the crowd. We see then, as we go back to our text in Matthew 14, the second half of 22 down to 23, this is when we start to see the rest of this unfold and play out of what Jesus did and how he dispersed the crowd and dispersed the disciples. And to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. We see he took, took the disciples. Now I thought this was interesting because according to Jewish times at this time, Evening here in the previous text is mentioned that when these people were fed, that was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That was when they had their meal, 3 to 4. And then it was later on, we'll see another word for evening, which meant sundown, dusk. So it's important to note these small little words as we go through this text of Scripture. So we're, we're now the, the crowd has been healed and they've been fed. It's a little after 3 o'clock. And Jesus sensed that this crowd was coming to take him as king, and he immediately sent the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. Now this was to send them toward Capernaum. We see that in John 6.17. Or the other account that this is recorded in for us is Mark 6.45, going towards Bethsaida. Now these are both in the exact same area, same place. There's no difference, no dis personal distinction it's just different recording of where the, these disciples were to be sent. Again, these disciples, he wanted to remove them because they were still young. They were still learning. They were still in training time at this point in their ministry. But Jesus not only had to still teach them and get them out of there, he had another, another lesson for them. He had another plan. He had other intentions for these disciples that he wanted to teach them. Because as we see later, the disciples didn't really understand the feeding of the 5,000. They didn't understand. I mean, I wouldn't understand. We got 20,000 people, and Jesus fed these people with seven loaves and two fish. That's a two-person meal. And yet, after these people finished, there is 12 baskets remaining. I don't understand how that's possible. These people were full. They hadn't eaten for days, and yet they were full. And the disciples were still pondering and wondering that, and yet Jesus said, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you another lesson to help show you who I am. So we see there following through in verse uh, 22 and 23, we see that the crowd was finally dispersed. Now, this, there's this word, evening, 
he finally got the crowd to disperse. So the crowd was fed at 3 to 4 o'clock, and Jesus sent the disciples on their way, and then by evening, which is sundown, getting close to dark, he finally, Jesus, was able to disperse this crowd, send them back to their cities, back to their towns, back to where they came from. And what did Jesus do? This is a good lesson for us. He went up on a mountain to be alone, to pray, to be closer to God, to pray to him. Again, this shows uh, the other instance of who Jesus is, being fully man, fully God. He was tempted at this time. He could have allowed that crowd to come and take him and make him king. That's what the flesh would have allowed and wanted. Hey, this is great. I'm going to be a king. But he knew the other side of it. His, the other part of his, himself being fully God, he knew that this is not the will of my father. I need to go. I need to get myself out of this situation I'm going to go be alone. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to seek God and let him know my thoughts, my intentions, and move on and get away from this situation. As we look through this, each of us here have temptations on a, on a daily basis. Each one's different. But Jesus has set the example for us as what he did. He removed himself from a situation, a temptation, and he stepped aside and he went up and prayed on a mountain. He prayed out to God to get out of that situation. It's, it's, a, it's a lesson and a reminder for us of what our Lord has done. But now as we get into this next point, we see a lesson of storms yet to come. We see this in verses 24 to 27, and then we, we get interrupted for a little short bit. And then it finishes in verses 32 and 33. But this is where the well-known account of Jesus is, the Jesus walking on water. And it, it's an incredible account as we, as we study this text of Scripture. We'll begin reading in verse 24, and we'll work our way down to 27. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear, but straightway, there's that word again, straightway or immediately, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Had a lot of fun in Sunday school going through this lesson, having the kids act out rowing in the storm, seeing what their reactions would be, if they would get out of the boat, or different instances. It's, it's a lot of fun working with little kids, getting to see their reactions, see their faces, be like, wow, Jesus walked on the water. Yeah, he did. He walked on the water. So did Peter. It's really, it's really interesting and neat to see that but we, as we see here in verse 24, where are the disciples at this time? Well, they're in the Sea of Galilee. They're out there in the water. Storm hasn't arrived yet. It's still nice and calm. Water's nice. It's maybe a slight breeze. And they're just rowing across the Sea of Galilee, heading to the other side. 
We see an interesting note in uh, John 16, 19. Again, John records this for us. So when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh into the ship, and they were afraid. That, that 20, five and 20 or 30 furlongs is another reference to three to three and a half miles. So at this time, the disciples, after they were put in the ship, with that nice weather that they had, they were able to make it three to three and a half miles out into the Sea of Galilee. At the same time, where was Jesus? We're setting up the scenario. We're setting up where people are at. Jesus was up on the mountain still. He was still praying, still seeking God and praying out to him. But, you know, at the same time, he could still see the disciples. He knew where they were at. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew the events that were going to unfold. This was part of the plan of Jesus. Jesus wanted them to trust him even when he was not there with them. So we have Jesus on the mountain and we have the disciples down on the Sea of Galilee going across. They're three, three and a half miles out. Now this is where it gets interesting and this is where we need to pause for a minute. In verse 25, we're given a short little phrase. There in verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night. Fourth watch. Interesting. Interesting how we get these short little texts to understand what's going on, and we can tear it apart and unfold and see where they're at. Fourth watch was 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. So this is very early hours in the morning, and I don't know about you, but I'm normally not up at that hour. But if you are up at that hour, it's very dark outside. Sun has not come up yet. Keep that in mind. Still dark. So they were three to three and a half miles out, and then we see that the storm begins to break down and to come upon them. There in uh, verse 24, we're sort of jumping back and forth between verses here. Verse 24 says, The wind was contrary, and the waves were tossing the boat around. So we need to see that, let's put this together, we're going we're gonna to look at the, where, where people are at and also the time frame of where we are at at this point. So the crowd of people was fed around 3 to 4 o'clock. Disciples were put in the boat around that time. And between, say, we're not given the exact time, but we're getting a rough idea, say 5 to about evening, which is right about, say, 8 o'clock, they were able to get enough three to three and a half miles out. They had enough daylight to row by hand into the Sea of Galilee for three and a half miles out into this place. At that same time that they were rowing, Jesus was dispersing the crowd, sending them back to where they came from. By evening for him, disciples were three and a half miles out, but Jesus, he was able to go up on the mountain and pray. He was up there on the mountain praying to God at this time. But then we see at evening, a storm begins to encroach upon the disciples. It's an intense storm. Lots of wind, waves. We get it occasionally around here when hurricanes come through, but these storms come up and they, it causes a lot of distress for the disciples. But we see that fourth watch is three to six in the morning. 
So the disciples had been rowing for three and a half miles. Storm starts right around dusk. And then at three o'clock in the morning to six is when Jesus begins to walk to them. The disciples are very tired, exhausted. I don't know about you, but me, when I was a kid, we, used, we had John boats. We would take them everywhere. We never had a motor, only had oars. Most of the time, the oar was broken half. And it was a lot of extra work to get that paddle to go wherever you wanted because as you went forward, the one side was half broke off, so you ended up going this way. And then you had to pull back this way. And it, it was quite interesting, and it made you very exhausted very quickly. And here were these disciples, four of which, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, in Matthew 4, 18 to 22, these were fishermen. They understood the water. They knew what storms were like. Also, at the same time, we see that in, uh, in another account, Jesus was with them with calming of the storm. In Matthew 8, 23 to 27, there was the last time they were all together in a boat on the sea, and Jesus was with them at that time. He calmed that storm, but this time Jesus is not with them. They had been rowing for hours. They had been fighting a storm for hours to the point of exhaustion and point of probably even death. They probably figured, hey, there's, there's not much more we could do. We're getting extremely tired. We're getting worn down. Death must be coming. Where's Jesus? He's not here with us this time to calm this storm. Where is he? Well, we don't know. Well, he's up on the mountain. He's still praying. But at this time, we see going through 25, part B, we see that he begins to walk to him on the sea. He came off the mountain. He begins to walk over to them, which again illustrates who he is. He's able to have power over gravity power over the wind and the waves. He has the power to walk on water, just like it was dry land. The waves and the wind had nothing to affect him. He just walked straight as an arrow, no problem. And here's the disciples, they're in the boat, and we all know this story, we all know this account. What did they say when they saw him? It's a ghost, it's a spirit. I don't know about you, but if I was in a boat, rowing for three and a half miles, and then fighting a storm for another four to six hours to the point of exhaustion, the point of death, and all of a sudden I look out, it's pitch black, lightning in the sky, rain coming down, waves crashing over a boat, being tossed back and forth, and you look out and you see something walking on the water, and it's coming towards you. I don't know about you, but I would, I would have serious concern at that point. I would think, oh my, what is this? We're... It's either going to come and get us and we're all going to die, or I don't know, because I've never seen anything of the like. It, it's, it, we, we can't blame the disciples at this point. They're alone. They're scared. They're exhausted. And to call out and say it's a spirit or it's a ghost is just the human nature. We, we, nobody before this time has ever walked on water. There's no other account in Scripture before this of anybody walking on water. We see them going through water on dry land, not on the water. So it's a natural instinct of the disciples to cry out, it's a ghost. We see then 
Jesus crying out to them and saying, there, immediately Jesus knew that they were scared, they were afraid, and said, Be of good cheer, have no worry, it is I. Be not afraid. And you know, at that instance, it must have been such a comfort for the disciples. They knew the Savior's voice. They know, knew who he was. To hear his voice come from in the midst of all this that was going on, they must have been comforted at this time and saying, wow, Jesus has come to take care of us and to help us. But then we get this interruption. Nowhere else in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, do we have this account given to us. Only Matthew is the only individual that has took this portion of Scripture and put it in here for us. Matthew recorded this for us, and it's worth looking at and understanding. If we didn't have this, then we would say, okay, hey, Jesus walked on water. But we, we have this little phrase, this few, few verses here of a lesson of Peter's faith. We see, as we read through in 28 to 31, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? We see that Peter wanted a greater assurance. Peter being Peter, he was bold enough, and some people criticize, uh, some commentators I read in this area criticize, hey, that Peter shouldn't have done that. What, what's Peter doing? Why is, he, why is he telling Jesus? He knew it was Jesus. Hey, Jesus, if it's you, have me come out to you. I, I don't think that's right to criticize Peter. This is Peter. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't get out of a ship that's still being tossed by wind and waves and rain and lightning, exhaustion, and seeing Jesus out there. I think I'd say, yeah, I'm going to be like the rest of the disciples. I'm going to sit right here, wait for Jesus to come to us, and then we'll be okay. But Peter said, no, I, I I want to be reassured of this. His desire was, in verse 28, Lord, if it be thou... Have me come unto thee on the water. And we see there what was the response of Jesus. Jesus said, come. If you want to come to me, come. And here's Peter. Without a a blink of an eye or a doubt, here's Peter. He, He gets over to the edge of the boat, and he starts stepping out. Wind and waves and everything crashing the boat, and yet he's getting out. What do you think the other disciples over here are thinking? Man, that guy's nuts. He's, we ain't going to have no more Peter. Peter's going to be gone. Bye, Peter. Enjoy. No, but Peter, he's, he's over there. He's getting out in faith saying, this is Jesus. He's going to take care of me. And he gets out. And what does he do when he gets on that water? He begins to walk on this water. And he begins to walk towards Jesus again. This is only the second individual ever to walk on water in all text of Scripture. 
Jesus and Peter are the only two ever to walk on water. Me thinking to myself, it's like, wow, what would that have been like, getting out of that boat and walking on water and being like, wow, this is, this is something. It wasn't dry land. But then Peter made a mistake. The fear began to come about him. I mean, you've got to remember, it's not calm, nice, glassy water. The waves are crashing up over boat. The boat's being tossed back and forth. The waves were scary. It was, it was petrifying. And he began to fear, and he took his eyes off of Jesus there. In verse 30, we see, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And immediately what happened to him when he took his eyes off of Jesus? He began to sink down into the Sea of Galilee. He began to sink down, and he cried out to Jesus, saying, Lord, save me. And Jesus mercifully reached over to him and grabbed his hand, pulled him back up to the top of the water, saved him, but at the same time asked him, O thou of little faith, Wherefore didst thou doubt? Why did you doubt me? You had the faith to get out of the boat. You had the faith to walk towards me. But why did you allow the wind and the waves to scare you? Take your eyes off of me. And you began to sink. I think it's an important lesson not only for Peter of having that, that personal little story here or account and having that Jesus tell him, O thou a little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why did you doubt me? It's a reminder also for us, too, that would we be so willing to put ourselves in the harm's way? If Jesus looked at you and said, Come to me, go do this. I want you to do this for me. Would we be so willing to do that and step out in faith as Peter did and trust Jesus that he will take and guide and care for us in that situation. It's a neat little few verses there, that little excerpt of what Peter did. And I'm grateful for the Lord allowing Matthew to record that and to have it for us there so we can see that even Peter, great Peter, who was the disciple of Jesus, had failures. But yet, it shows us the faith that he had and the lesson that Jesus had personally for Peter, for us as a reminder. After that short little excerpt there, we see we move back to our second point. Our second point of lessons of storms to come after that little slight interruption, that little insert of Peter walking out to Jesus, it leads us back to of what the point Jesus wanted to give to these disciples. We see that as Peter was raised back up out of the water and he was standing again on the water with Jesus, they began to walk again back to the boat and we see that there's the calming of the sea. Moving on to verse 32 and 33. And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. 
And when they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. We see that Peter and, Je- uh, Peter and Jesus, when they got back into the ship, that storm ceased. It was back to that beautiful, probably beautiful sunrise, beautiful morning. Could have still been dark out, but there's no more lightning, no more rain, no more dark clouds, no more major wind, no more major waves. It was ceased. We see again that Jesus has the power to calm the storm. We saw that in Matthew previously, in Matthew, I believe it was 8, of when he was with the disciples, and they thought they were going to die in that ship, even with Jesus there, and Jesus calmed the sea. This time, Jesus had, I guess you could say, a test, but also a lesson for him of, look, I'm not going to be with you this time. And I want to see how you are going to respond. What is going to be your response? Who are you going to cry out to? And we see there in verse 33 that the disciples worshiped Jesus. It was at this point that the disciples remembered who Jesus was. He is God. He is the Savior of the world. It's not that they were unsaved. It's not that they were uncertain or had these, these doubts or anything. They were still being trained. You've got to remember, as, as, I mean, these disciples were just recently, I mean, ten chapters before, they were just recently called by Jesus. They were working normal jobs, everyday jobs, and Jesus walks up to them and says, follow me? And they dropped what they were doing, and followed him. They were still learning about the ministry of Jesus. They were still in training because this is what the plan Jesus had for them. This is a learning lesson for the disciples that Jesus wants them to learn how to trust him and follow him when he is no longer with them. Jesus' time is... Each day, each week, each month is getting shorter and shorter. The cross is coming. It's getting closer, and he knows that. And at the same time, he's doing ministry. He's healing the lame. He's healing the sick. He's sharing the gospel with them. He's showing them who he is. And yet he needs to train these disciples to be prepared for, you know, when I die on that cross, I'll be with you for a short time and then I'll be gone. You'll be on your own. And he's preparing them for this time. This lesson of Jesus sending them into the Sea of Galilee and seeing how they would respond during this storm is a lesson for them to trust him. Jesus wasn't far away. He was watching them from the top of that mountain, waiting for their response. As we conclude this morning, we see Jesus taught a few lessons to his disciples to continue to grow in their faith. Again, Jesus is preparing these disciples for the ministry after he goes back to heaven after a short time here on earth after the death on the cross. 
He wants them to be prepared for all the toil and hardships that they will go through to share the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done for them. It wasn't going to be an easy ministry. They went through a lot. Imprisonment, different persecutions, all the way up to death for pretty much most of them. And he was trying to prepare them to be strong, to be bold, and be ready for what comes your way. It's a reminder also for us in this text of Scripture, I want to ask you and myself to examine ourselves. What lessons are we being taught individually by Jesus? Jesus taught the disciples, hey, I'm leaving. Be prepared. How are you going to respond? Our lessons are a different variety. Each of us is different. God has a different lesson for each of us. He wants us to learn different things. What are we being taught so that we can grow in our faith in God, grow closer to Him, be more useful for Him, to be prepared for whatever comes our way that He has for us? Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time to be able to open your word. We thank you for this text of Scripture that shows Jesus Christ as being fully man and fully God. How he has the power to calm storms, the power to see, the power to know. But yet at the same time, he still desired you. He was an example of desiring to be closer to you in prayer And Father, as he took care of the disciples, we pray that as we examine our own lives, that we would see where you're teaching us the different lessons that we have. And that we would examine those and to be able to learn that we may grow closer to you, to be more useful for you in these lives that you have given to us. Father, we we love you and we thank you for the many blessings and all that you do for us on a daily basis. We pray these things in your name. Amen.